Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis, one of the Bible Interact teachers. If you were with me on the last session, we were talking, well, we started actually with a parable in the Gospel of Matthew, where Matthew was talking about a landowner who owned a vineyard, and he rented his vineyard out to tenant farmers and when the time came to pay the rent, which was part of the produce at har- harvest time, the tenant farmers uh, beat, killed, and stoned these servants of the landowner. So the landowner sent his son, and finally they killed the son. I pointed out to you that this parable in Matthew cites a parable in Isaiah. And in the last session, we spent considerable time looking at the parable in Isaiah. Now, all I'm going to do now is I'm just going to review and tell you that the purpose of the parable in Isaiah was that the vineyard represented all the children of Israel. God had planted the vineyard, tended the vineyard, but they had not produced good fruit. They had produced wild fruit. This was not a... uh, a judgment of condemnation that God was going to throw out his children. This was a form of instruction in the ancient world through the language of wrath and judgment. It's like a wake-up call. When, When we get really bad, you know, God has to speak in very harsh ways. And that's what was happening in the parable of Isaiah. We're going to spend the rest of this session going to the parable in Matthew. And I'm going to show you that although Matthew cites from Isaiah... And he's starting with Isaiah. He moves in an entirely different direction. And it's a direction that we can put into our lives today. In fact, we should be putting into our lives today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 21, verse 33. If you're driving in the car or working at home and, and just listening to the radio, or working out in the garden and just listening to the radio, then don't worry, I'll... I'll I'll read these verses, but if you have your Bible, I think it's a good it's a good practice to to look at the words in Scripture. So we're in Matthew chapter twenty one, verse thirty three, and the parable begins. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. Now, in My Bible, which is a reference Bible, the citation is in small capital letters, so it's very easy to see what has been cited, and then I can look in the middle margin and go back to see just where where the citation is. It's in Isaiah chapter 5. But Matthew starts out in in a different way. He's added the fact that the landowner has uh, rented out the land. Um, in Isaiah, um, the landowner was God, and, and God never rented out the land. He, he just tended it, and, and uh, so this is a little different twist. And what's important is that the context will explain why it's a different twist and what the different twist is doing. 
context means the, the surrounding verses. Where does this passage begin? The passage does not begin with a parable. The passage begins all the way up in verse 23. And we read, when Yeshua had come into the temple. This was right before his crucifixion. The chief priests and the elders of the people came in to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? So the context is that Yeshua has been confronted by the chief priests and the elders of the people. The context is the leaders who are challenging Yeshua. The context is not all of God's people. Now, the in the context, there is a parable that comes before our parable. And it's called the parable of the two sons. Um, and... Uh, in the parable of the two sons, uh, a man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in the vineyard. And the son answered and said, I will, sir. But he didn't go. He didn't go. And and so the father went to the second son and said the same thing. And the second son answered and said, I will not. Yet he afterward regretted and went. Which of the two did the will of his father? In the context... This whole passage is being is, is criticizing the leaders of God's people. In this particular parable, the first one uh, answered and, and said, uh, "You know, I will," but he didn't. He didn't go out to work, and and those would have been the leaders. And the second son said, "I'm not going to go out to work." So they're the ones who, <laughs> who are the sinners, and yet they repented and finally went out to work. So the whole passage in the context is talking about the leaders of God's people. And the question is, who are the real leaders? Of the two sons, the real, you know, the ones who are obeying God are the ones who repented, not not the leaders who were supposed to go out and work and didn't. And the same thing is happening in our parable with the landowner who rented out the land. It's about, it, it's, it's uh, condemning the leaders of God's people. And we can see that because at the very end of our parable, it says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Yeshua's parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. And when they sought to seize him, they feared the multitudes because they held him to be a prophet. So this whole parable in Matthew is condemning the leaders of God's people. In Isaiah... It was the language of wrath and judgment as a form of, of instruction to all of God's people. Here, it's actually language of condemnation against God, the leaders of God's people. Now, this whole parable, the importance of the parable is to ask one question. And we're going to ask that question now. And we're going to continue asking the question, and we're going to answer the question at the end of this session. Who are the true leaders of God's people? When we look around us, we see what appear to be leaders. They may be the heads of charismatic churches. They may, you know, be popular authors. Um, You know, they may even be ministers and priests. These are the people that the world sees, and and we see through the eyes of the world, we see them as as leaders of God's people. Now, they may be leaders of God's people, but they may not be leaders of God's people. We have to look through the eyes of Christ, our Lord, in order to determine whether they are in fact leaders of God's people, 
And when we look around, we're going to see many leaders of God's people that the world is not recognizing. So the question is, who are the true leaders of God's people? And it, it's a very simple answer. The key word is servant. Those who have submitted in humble obedience to their Lord Yeshua. Those are the true leaders. Now, I know people who are very humble followers of Yeshua, and they don't appear to be leaders in, in the world. They're very humble, they're very gentle, uh, they're, not, they're not charismatic, they're not teachers, they're not preachers, um, they're not famous, but they are the true leaders of God's people. We lead by our walk. That's how we lead. God's leaders are walking a godly walk. And those of us who look around can see the ones who are walking a godly walk. It's a very different concept of true leadership. The, now, in the context of our parable here, it's, it's talking about the chief priests and the elders of the people. And the equivalent today would be those in positions of leadership authority. But in ancient Israel, it was the chief priests and the elders of the people. They were expected to have leadership roles. And, and the people looked to them as leaders. But Yeshua is saying, don't, don't look at them as leaders just because they have the title chief priests or they have the title elders of the people. Look at their hearts. Look at the way they are walking. That will tell you whether they are true leaders or not. That's the purpose of this parable. And I want to emphasize that in today's world, and, and this applies to you too, a, a leader is not necessarily one who has a large following. A leader is simply one who walks in the ways of God and other people can see it. That is a godly leader. Now, let's go back to our parable and I'll, and I'll show you how this works. Um, Matthew starts out by citing Isaiah. And immediately we would think, oh, Isaiah was talking about God and his people Israel. But there's something that Matthew has added. He's added the word landowner. So instead of God, we've got a landowner who rents out his vineyard. He rents it out. He's putting his vineyard in the charge of the leaders of his people. The leaders of his people are now in charge of God's people. They're, they're the tenant farmers. They're in charge. And they have to give to God his portion that is due to him. And what, what do we give to God as our portion? We give our hearts. We give our service. We, we serve in humble obedience. That's what we give to God. And apparently these, these uh, chief priests and elders were not doing that. And then the parable goes on. And in verse 34, we're going to, we're going to find out here uh, what, how the leaders, what are the leaders doing? How are the leaders operating? Now, don't think of this literally. It's all symbolic. We've got to read it with imagery and symbolism. When the harvest time approached, the landowner, who was off in some foreign land, sent his... Now, my translation says slaves. I prefer the word servants. It, you could say either slaves or servants, but I think uh, servants convey 
the, those who are the true leaders of God. They're servants. They're servants of the landowner. They're, they're servants of God. And so the, uh, the landowner sent his servants to the vine growers, to the leaders, to receive his produce, what was due to him. And the vine growers, the leaders, took God's servants and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Now, don't think of it literally. If the leaders are not taking care of God's people, they are, in fact, making themselves be leaders in the image of the world, where, in fact, they're killing the true leaders. They're, they're speaking against them. They're, it happens in the world today. You know, they, they, they talk against these people who are the true leaders, the humble ones, the obedient ones. And the vine growers, um, let's see, again, the landowners sent another group of servants, larger than the first, and they did, the, and the, the tenant farmers did the same things to them. Afterwards, the landowner sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir, come let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And that, of course, refers to Yeshua. So the leaders in ancient Israel were not recognizing Yeshua, but many of the common people did recognize Yeshua. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? Now comes the question, what are going to be the consequences? What are the consequences to these leaders of God's people who are not only do they not act as leaders, but they're tearing down, um, by words and actions, uh, they're tearing down the true leaders who are the humble, obedient ones. Now, the, the leaders, the chief priests and the elders, the leaders answer the question. And the leaders say, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Right, So, right now, we look around and we see leaders of God's people in the eyes of the world who are not true leaders. Sometime in the proper season, that's sort of a key phrase for some, something that's going to happen in the future, God is going to put his true leaders in the position of leadership. Those who are the humble ones, the ones who are walking in, in righteousness, you don't have to be perfect. It, God only sees the heart. I mean, you, you know, you, your heart desires to grow close to God, to walk in his ways, to please him. Now, Yeshua uh, cites from scripture. Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Um, now, whenever you get a citation, and you see a citation here, you have to go back to your Bible, and we'll go back, um, and read this citation in its context. You can see what the citation is in, in the middle margin if you have a good reference Bible. And you will see that uh, this is a, a citation of Isaiah. And no, it's not. It's of the Psalm, Psalm 118, verse 22. So you keep your, your finger here and you go back to Psalm 118. Verse 22, 
Now, when you get back here to verse 22, you have to read it in its context. So I suggest that the context begins back in verse 19. So I'm going to start reading, no, in verse 15, I'm going to start reading from there. And what we're going to hear is this is the end time. This is when God is going to judge. He's going to reward those who are the true leaders. And the there will be judgment against those who have... Uh, consider themselves leaders but have not been true leaders. This is the end times. And we know that because we hear the sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. So we're talking about a period of judgment here. And joyful shouting. This, this is the end of time. This is, you know, when the righteous ones are the ones who are doing the joyful shouting. And then it drops down to verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. So Isaiah says, you know, my heart is humble. Um, I desire to be obedient to my Lord God. I, I, you know, and, 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 and I, wish, I wish to be there at the end of time. And in fact, um, this is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to thee, for thou hast answered me, and thou hast become my salvation. So, at the end of time, there's joyful shouting by the righteous ones, by the true leaders, the ones who have been humble and obedient. And then we hear our citation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And uh, this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. <clears throat> so, the, uh, of course, the cornerstone is Yeshua. He is the cornerstone. And um, God is making a selection of who are the righteous ones, who are the true leaders, and who are not the righteous ones, who are the, not the true leaders. I, I have to just mention a word of caution here. The tendency in Christianity is to think that this is God's choice of who will be saved and who will not be saved. I have done a great deal of work on this topic. You can go to BibleInteract.com. I have a four-part teaching called Who Will Be Saved? I think that um, Christianity sees everything in black and white. That tends to be the Greek way of doing it. We want everything to be either true or false, black or white. It's not the Hebraic way of looking at it. That doesn't mean that you can make truth anything you want it to be. I think that we have just only seen the surface. We have not gone into the depth. <clears throat> and that God is in the process of selecting a group of righteous leaders who will be called a remnant and have a role to play at some time in the future to defeat God's enemy before God meets with all of his people. Not all of God's people are leaders, uh, but those who are leaders by their humble obedience are being prepared for a role in the future, and that role will be conducted by what is called the remnant. So let's return now to Matthew, because um, in Matthew we've just read this citation from the Psalm 118, and we've gone back to see that God is making a selection, and the selection is of those who are the righteous ones. These are the true leaders, and they, there's going to be joyful singing, and they're going to be the ones that will, uh, will have a role to play as the remnant. 
um, and all the others who are not the true leaders will, will just they'll have to wait because uh, the role of the remnant is a role that will defeat the enemy and after that God will take up with all of his people so we return now to the parable in Matthew and we read in uh, verse 43 therefore I say to you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you who's the you you should know the kingdom of God will be taken away from you we're talking about the leaders the chief priests and the elders the leaders today the leaders who consider themselves leaders and think they're going to be in positions of authority in the in the future kingdom but they will not have those positions of authority the true leaders are the ones with humble obedience so I say to you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and be given to a people producing the fruit of it the purpose of the vineyard is to show who produces good grapes and who produces wild grapes and those who produce good grapes are the ones who are the true leaders they're the ones who are called righteous their their hearts are righteous their hearts are in in an alignment with God and they are walking in godly ways and then and he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces but on whomever it falls it will scatter him like dust you know it took me a long time to to really get into that to understand it but I, I my perception today is based on an echo you remember an echo is uh, something in scripture and these words bring up that echo the first part is clear he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces so uh, and the stone of course is Yeshua so uh, falling on that stone uh, not standing with the stone not obeying the stone not uh, walking in alignment with the stone will be broken to pieces but then we get uh, this other phrase. It's, it's the opposite. It's obviously the true leaders. It's the righteous ones. But it sounds confusing. It says, on whomever it f- the, the stone falls, it will scatter him like dust. That, to me, is the echo of, um, the, you know, as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Uh, Abraham was going to have that many descendants. Now, Abraham was righteous. And so the, the imagery in the Hebrew scriptures is that he is going to produce righteous seed. And in fact, uh, the remnant are going to produce righteous seed. We can see that in scripture. And you can see that in my teaching on who will be saved. I also have another teaching. It's a four-part series on the remnant and Israel's inheritance. Um, these are all in-depth teachings. They're, they're not surface teachings. They're in-depth teachings and you need to do it with your Bibles and the whole purpose is to show you how to get into the depth of Scripture the way I get into the depth of Scripture using these ancient methods of of uncovering these hidden meanings from Scripture. Um, they're all in Scripture. <laughs> the word hidden is was actually um, used in ancient times that you know God is infinite and therefore his word is infinite and he had covered some of the depth of information and would allow it to be uncovered in his time and we can dig down and uncover it and he allows it to be uncovered um, to those who have the heart to to obey and follow him so um, so those who are the true leaders at some at some future time are going to be be scattered like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore 
And then it goes on, and when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. And when they sought to seize him, they feared the multitudes because they held him to be a prophet. So this this is the end of, of the parable. Before I end, I want to just tell you a little story about this scattering like dust. Um, um, a friend of mine and her father, when we were, we were younger, we, we climbed Mount Washington in... Uh, in Maine, and um, it was no, it wasn't Mount Washington. It was uh, Mount Katahdin, and um, it, it, we climbed all day. And then we got up there, and we spent the night in a little kind of a little hut. And we got up early in the morning, and there was thick mass of clouds below us. The mountain was like a little uh, triangle pinnacle that rose up above the mass of clouds, a dense, dense mass of clouds. So it was bright sun. We were in the bright sun and we were looking down almost like a white uh, coat of cotton. <laughs> and um, and then as, as we sat there in just bewilderment and wonder, the, this clouds began to dissipate. And below us, there there are thousands of lakes in Maine. And, and the, this bright, brilliant sun shone on those lakes and reflected from those lakes like a million tiny little mirrors. And that's the imagery I get, where God takes a righteous one and smashes that mirror into a thousand little pieces and makes the righteousness all over the world. With that, I say, Shalom. <laughs>